Welcome, reanimated fans, to this week's episode. Uh, we are talking about uh, Midnight Mass, uh, the next couple of episodes, uh, episodes five and six. And we're here with Stuart Tiffin, my intrepid co host. Hello. Ahoy. Good morning. As well as special guest star, Kyle Diaz. Hi, Kyle. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Um, before we head into our recap uh, review, we have a couple of news items. Um, one that is quite seasonal. It's a trailer for Black Friday, which has none other than Bruce Campbell in it. Um, and it's not quite zombie, but definitely about the horrors of, you know, shopping after Thanksgiving, I suppose. I will say Bruce Campbell is looking pretty good. I mean, he's, he looks an appropriate amount of old for how, how old he must be, which must be like close to seven in his 70s or close to his 70s. Yeah, I don't think he's 70 yet. Is he? I don't know. I like to make him younger than he is, maybe because, <laughs> you know, he's Bruce Campbell. So anyway, I guess we'll we'll check that out. And, and I don't know if we'll review it or not, but the trailer itself is actually quite entertaining. I think we have to. I think we're going to have to watch it. I mean, it's like, a, a you know. It's got a lot of Romero in its bloodstream there where it's like cursing out the consumer society. Yep. And yeah, I think. Oh, no, it's got all it, it, it ticks all those boxes. So so we may have to like take 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 it, uh, take that uh, and make it a special holiday oh, review yeah. or something like that. Um, and then uh, Saturn News and Walking Dead, Stephen Campbell, who's a director of photography, um, has passed away. And um, you can definitely see his work, I think, at least in the first few seasons of, of Walking Dead. And he it definitely was a lot of what made that show, like the visuals of that, pretty incredible. So that's pretty sad. Um, and, you know. Uh, it, like I, I like to note these things because it isn't just the actors that that kind of make up a show. And so, you know, a tough week for for Walking Dead peeps um, and a lot of the actors and, and writers in the show were giving their uh, giving their remembrances of him. Um, so yeah, I guess he, was... he and Michael Satrazimus used to trade off on the, the director of photography duties or and. Um... Yeah, he, Michael Satrazimus had some nice things to say, uh, and dude, dude had to, had to like work in a rent and like a camera rental store for a long time before he made it into uh, into the industry. So he kind of worked his way up the ranks. Right. And last but not least, also uh, Walking Dead alum Lori Holden, uh, amongst everyone is going to be in the boys season three. Um, but there's some good stills and good things of her in that. So um, I'm looking forward to that season. Although I have to admit, I'm like, I didn't know that they would be doing a season three, but I guess they are. Uh, so we'll have to, we'll have to check that out. I mean, I've, I've been seeing a lot about season three because um, that dude from supernatural is in it. What's his name? Yeah. Jensen Ackles. Mm -hmm. um, and he, his, like the reveal of him being in season three came out really shortly after season two aired. So I, oh, I, no, I, I mean, I believe, radar. I believe that there's a season three. I just thought mm -hmm. with the storyline, it's like, okay, I don't know anyway, but you know how these things go. I I'm looking forward to seeing her in that. I think it's pretty, pretty cool. Uh, she looks awesome. She actually so we'll does look really good. That she's going to be some sort of anarchist crimson, uh, crimson countess and her costume mm -hmm. does look really good. It looks really good. Uh, so looking forward to, to seeing that when it gets released. Um, and uh, I think these two episodes of Midnight Mass, I think one of them is definitely 
to me, like there's a, there's, it's a pretty strong episode. I kind of want to hop into that. Uh, So we're talking about um, episode five, uh, which is gospels and six, which is act, uh, act of the apostle apostles. Um, And this is basically, you know, the episode five, like leads off where sort of where we left off um, to find out what happened to Riley. And this is why I just, you know, I was not strong. I gave into the temptation and after episode four, I binged the rest of it. Uh, you did not, Stuart. Nope. So still, still pure as the driven snow. Haven't watched the final episode. But. Right. So I think I think you should kind of kick this one off uh, to talk about this. Um, and then I certainly have some commentary um, about it. Uh, but to me, this is one of the strongest episodes. Okay. There's a lot of, a lot to cover here. Uh, yeah, this is the like the I guess the easy way to describe this episode is it's yeah what happened to Riley and we do we do dis- we do discover that um, although the mechanism is a bit clanky I feel like for for he's like let me I'm gonna tell you a story and you're not gonna believe it fade to flashback and I was like oh okay but yeah we don't that doesn't happen right away first we have to um, see some stuff and honestly this is kind of troubling for me for the next couple episodes is what they're doing to Sheriff uh, Hassan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, it begins here and it ends later, but he, like we, um, not only do we find that yeah, Riley hasn't come home, nobody really knows where he is, but, um, there's a woman talking to the sheriff in his office and she's like, uh, and at first you don't know who she is, but it becomes clear pretty quickly that she's bowl's mom and he mm-hmm. keeps calling her bowl. He's, and she's like, his name was bill. Right. Uh, uh, and I thought that was hilarious. It's weird that she's a little more Southern than everybody else on the island. Um, this is, a, this is a scene that I thought was a little strange. Um, I thought it was overdone. I thought she was overdone. Um, and I do think that they're clearly, you know, and they echo some of the things she says, we hear, Riley echo a very specific line later. Um, But I thought that this was, you know, I don't think it's weird that she's distraught that her son is missing. I think that her, like, I think it was overacted personally. I thought that the performance by the um, mom was pretty good. I didn't think it was particularly overacted, but I just had completely forgotten who Bull was. But (laughs) both times I watched this show through. So I feel like they didn't do a good enough job kind of bringing that plot point back because he died episode two episode two yeah it was it was a while ago so um yeah he, i guess he's just been in some abandoned house somewhere this whole time but he's like the only human who's died so far other yeah. than joe collie and that comes up too in this interview with the sheriff because the woman's like you need he, he says oh i talked to joe collie and he was the last one to see bowl alive uh, and she's like, at least they didn't call him Bong, which actually had me laugh out loud in the scene. <laughs> uh, but then you're like, okay, so now you know that there are two missing people cases on his desk. And, what they what yeah. they do with the sheriff in this episode is is horrible. He he is in this episode and the next actually he is just uh, like bizarrely unmoved by everything, even as he can obviously tell that 
you know, things are spinning rapidly out of control and, and that a lot of people are suddenly going missing in this I, small little island town. Yeah, I, I totally agree. There's like a population of less than 100 maybe or. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like and, by the time the third person comes into his office and is like some weird shit is going down and he's like, let me tell you about something that happened to me 15 oh years ago. Like, Nobody cares, dude. <laughs> it's a five and, <laughs> or six minute monologue. I mean, we've already talked about this tendency from Flanagan, right? But yeah, it's like a six minute monologue <laughs> when Aaron Green is in his office and it me it has like zero tie back. It's the very end where he's like xenophobia yeah <laughs> yeah uh it was that was very um that felt like indulgent on the on the part of the writer for sure yeah and he's like and he's bizarrely cold to these people like um aaron green tells him that that she miscarried and he's just kind of like sorry yep. Like bummer. I don't have a field for that on my on my form that I'm filling out. I was like, you are you are a terrible sheriff. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not a fan of what they did with him in 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 this episode. And the next, he he yeah redeems himself a little bit toward the end of the next episode. But sure, there's a lot of redemption going on at the end of the next episode for a minute anyway. (laughs) People are walking up to the church and they're putting the sign on the on the church that says no more mass except that night. And and plus, um, Riley's dad comes to visit Father Paul at his house, right? Yeah, later on. But um, okay. uh, yeah, at this point, it's really just Mildred is up and walking around the community and people are like, what? Yeah, because um, she now looks like 24 years old. <laughs> yes, except for a little bit of gray hair. Uh, she, <laughs> and, her huge, yeah. and her huge grandma glasses. <laughs> she actually just kind of looks like a hipster. Uh, so now also Riley is telling people, uh, not Riley. Aaron is going to Riley's parents' house and being like, he's not, I don't know where he is. And, and, um, and she goes to the docks and tells Warren and his dad like gets all ticked off. He's like, Oh, he's not even going to try. Like he clearly doesn't want to, he doesn't give his son the benefit of the doubt in any no, scenario. He thinks he's off binging or something like that. Um, and, and Sheriff does go looking for Joe Colley fine i mean i think that scene is just like uh he knocks on the door and nobody's there and i think then he walks away i don't remember there was too much more to that scene but it's another missing person right yes <laughs> yeah so it's shortly after he comes back from looking for joe collie that the that aaron walks into his office mm-hmm. and the first thing he asks her he's like are you two and then ellipsis like are you are you romantically involved I mean, maybe <laughs> that's part of the investigation but is that maybe. the first thing you ask i don't know yeah i yes. don't know so that 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 gives way to the seven six or seven minute monologue uh Wait, so ends, does, so, does the long monologue happen then or does it happen when he's talking to the doctor at the beginning of the next episode when she's like people's blood is burning up oh shit that that I think that's when he goes off for a really long time, and I'm like, she just that, told you that people's blood is burning. That's right. Um, you're right. That what, it, the monologue comes later, but he is yeah. kind of inappropriate with uh, with Aaron too, asking yeah. what did he talk about? Oh, he talked about death. Oh, okay. Well, he's probably killed himself. Yeah, <laughs> just like really like not subtle about it at all. <laughs> yeah, he's not so, very he's not very empathetic. No, um, they, but then they have their midnight mass, which I guess is the day before Easter. And um, the priest starts talking about God's army is the basis of his homily. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there, we don't have countries. You were all soldiers. God's going to tell you to do terrible things. And guess what? You're going to do them because morality is changing. I'm like, you know, and luckily Mildred's sitting in there 
uh, and I didn't really, I couldn't really get a read on what her face was telling us until she walked out, but it was discussed. And I was kind of happy that at least one person on the island seems to have a brain of their own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I've been kind of wondering for a couple of episodes is, you know, when, when, when Father Paul went to, or when I guess Monsignor went to his kind of um, holy site tour, he was suffering deep in the grasp of dementia. And and I wonder whether there's limits to what the vampire blood can really do because he he's not acting like a person with all of his marbles. And I wonder if some of that is that the show is suggesting that he never kind of like fully recovered, even back before he quote unquote died. You know, he had times when he was like very, very agitated and, and anxious and, and just kind of uh, irrational seeming. What, what do you think? Is this, is this genuinely a person who's got all of his, you know, perspective and marbles or is this somebody who, you know, his brain was broken and it's just kind of like, you know, rewired itself in a way that made it semi-functional again. Whether, whether it's his old dementia that's still there or the fact that he's under some sort of brain compulsion of, of the vampire influence, I've never been super clear because like those questions I was asking last time, when he's still giving mass to uh, people like Mildred after he's going through this transformation and feeling this intense discomfort, um, but I guess that's part of the complete lack of guilt that they explain away too. Like they don't feel bad about the terrible things they're doing. So that kind of explains his, the, the, the the break in his uh, approach to a lot of issues, but you just listen to him babbling about the explanations for why things are happening. And yeah, you, you do think that he does not have all of his uh, faculties. I mean, not having ever really had a scene with demented Pruitt uh, where he's talking, you don't really know if that's true. You just see him wandering around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. Like the thing is he, he's also very like him and Bev Keen can just, just can turn people's minds, right? Like they have that power to just rhetoric at folks. Mm-hmm. I mean, Riley has a gift of gab too. He can talk, but, uh, it doesn't ever feel like he's actually persuading anybody of anything. He's just <laughs> doing his like, Oh, atheism's great lectures yeah. that, that don't really seem to, uh, they just kind of bounce off of Aaron, for instance. Yeah. I think you know, Mildred's the only one who like really outwardly freaks out. But I, I think that the townspeople are definitely struck by the sermon and they're definitely kind of like, what, what is he talking about? And, and also, you know, it's like six minutes long, which is not supposed to be what your good Friday mass is, is, is like, um, but uh, you know, you can see kind of, especially Briley's parents and some of the other folks in town are, are getting a little, a little concerned. Yeah, maybe. There's a lot of nodding though. And and but at the end of the homily, he also his sign off is like, yeah, we're gonna do great things. And then like drops drops the mic. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Yeah. Um, but you know, not ever having been to mass. Yeah. Uh so then I think the next scene is basically uh Aaron is sleeping on the couch and there's a knock at the door and she opens it and oh my gosh, there's Riley, and he's just like, Hey, let's hang out. It's mm-hmm. super casual. And um, when you like watch the entire episode and you think again about how he approaches this door and um, his demeanor, it's a little odd. Like, I don't, I know he spent the entire night just wandering around and staring at everything. So maybe like his kind of weird stony expression um, or like acting like nothing is out of, nothing is weird. Everything is normal. It's just, it's still pretty odd. And I, 
if I were Aaron Green and he, I would not be like, yeah, let's go take that boat ride together. I I think that they were kind of trying to set this up as like, you know, maybe he, I think they're kind of trying to make it a little bit of a, you know, is he good? Is he bad kind of situation where they're like, oh, like, you know, totally. when he shows up at the door, he's, his demeanor is a little bit ambiguous. And then, mm-hmm. you know, later on the boat, cause they row out onto the water and he tells her his long story of, you know, what happened to him during the last couple of days. Um, and there's a moment where it's kind of like, is he dangerous? Is he not? And in both instances, like maybe just because of how they've written that character so far, or because of how he's been acted by the guy who I can only think of in my head as Matt Saracen from Friday Night Lights, but um, I forget the actor's <laughs> name. Uh, um, uh, I, I never really, I, I was never really worried for, um, for Aaron in those moments. I, I feel like there's just kind of an inherent goodness to Riley that shines through no matter what. So, right. And he's um, always like, his character has consistently proven to be the moral compass. Like he's, yes. so, he's always like going home to check on and just, like get home in time for curfew and those kinds of decisions. So yeah, yeah I, I would agree that like all the groundwork has been done for us to believe that he is the moral um, alpha. Yeah. And so I, I read him in that moment as kind of conflicted and, um, you know, maybe scared, trying to kind of gather his his uh, his fortitude. Oh, Zach Guilford, that's the name of the actor. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't really read him as going through some sort of genuine um, crisis that was going to, uh, you know, endanger Aaron, really. There are moments, sure, like on the boat when she starts looking around and there's actually a POV camera shot of her, like, scoping out the horizon. Um, but also, yeah... That boat, man, when they get in that boat, I don't know how much of it they're actually on real water, but it was pretty clear that they were not in a tiny boat on the open ocean. <laughs> uh, like it was, you know, I, I was out on uh, pa- just past Bodega Bay, just past the headland. Uh, that's a local water, you know, feature of the coast in Sonoma County. And I was on a fairly large boat. And as soon as you get out of the protection of the bay, you are all over the place on the water and they're just sitting there just like barely just head like bobbing. barely bobbing yeah it looks like a lake <laughs> um and it's so it's clearly like green screen um i mean it's not terrible right but it, no it's it, not and it just i guess feels... it's supposed to be the atlantic and maybe some sort of like you know inlet of the atlantic up near you know all those kind of like canadian channels and stuff so i'm not really sure exactly where this is actually that's a good question where where specifically is this supposed to take place? Like off the coast of Maine or something? I, I assume it's, yeah, what's the nearest big city? They've never really said. They're just like mainland. Yeah. Um, so in my mind, I pictured it as being like, you know, some somewhere off the coast of Maine where, you know, I don't, I don't think the sea is as, you know, wild over there as it is off the Northern California coast, but still. Maybe. I, but that is a really small boat. That's like the boat you take out <laughs> on a pond. And it's acting like they're on a pond, maybe, right? Um, but yeah, they're supposed to be in the Atlantic or maybe some like Chesapeake Bay or something. Either way, I think it would have been, there would have been a little more holding on to the edges and a little more movement in the camera. But either way, that's that's a fairly small gripe because um, the first thing Riley wants to talk about is the stars, man. You know, it's like campfires in, the, in space. 
Uh, and then, then he's like, oh, no, now I'm going to tell you a story and it's going to be bonkers. Uh, and then we cut to with the, the flashback and it's like, it picks up. We don't really know exactly how long, maybe, maybe it's that six hours later or several hours later, because um, it's, it's, those, it's those scenes of father Paul breaking, re-breaking or unbreaking his neck. Yeah. <laughs> like putting, putting it back where it's supposed to be. Um, it's pretty and, rough. Yeah. It was pretty rough and kind of like assuring him the whole time that he'll be fine. Um, you know, not to, uh, not to jump too far ahead, but uh, this entire long section here mm. with Riley kind of coming to grips with what he is and learning what Monsignor is and kind of going through uh, the stages of grief about, you know, how he's been transformed and, and fighting with father Paul in some cases about this stuff. I think this is some of the very strongest stuff in the show. And it's, it's where the kind of like stagey, um, nature of this works really 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 well and and i think that you get a sense of exactly what he's grappling with i just these two actors you know mostly alone in a room together just bouncing off each other uh is is absolutely compelling and absorbing i i think this is you know some of the strongest stuff in the show and and i really really loved this i agree it takes you back to that the aa meeting where you know where they had one of their earlier conversations and it was the same wasn't quite the same energy but it was the same intensity between hamish linklater and zach guilford i think that they do bounce off of each other really well um and it's it's an interesting symmetry to the story also the fact that they're just back here and they're just like yeah now we're going to do serenity and and you know could try to keep all these elements of their aa meeting yeah uh, because father paul or pruitt is so convinced that um He's, he's so assured uh, and, and yet he's so wrong at the same time. Um, and it's, it's frustrating. Oh, this is an incredibly good scene. Um, and actually one of my favorites because it's, well, there's a few things going on here. I think you've got, you've got father Paul doing his AA, like reassuring counselor kind of role. And he keeps saying weird things that are just so, I mean, in this situation, kind of hilarious, very, to me, very black comedy, because it's like Riley's been woken up with like, he he knows that his neck has been broken and he's kind of woken up in a pool of blood. And Father Paul keeps being like, come and listen to me and you'll feel a lot better, you know, and like this very caring thing and like having an AA meeting in the midst of this like strangely horrific bizarre situation um but he's still trying to act as if he is this reassuring presence when he is anything but but it's um very very powerful scenes um he uh pruitt tells riley the story of the mouse in the box which thanks to uh zach guilford's reaction and riley's reaction to that story you, you know that he's talking about riley as an altar boy uh, and and yet mm-hmm. he, riley hasn't put it together yet that he's Pruitt, I mean, he does, he does a moment later. Um, well, he did just come back from the dead. So you can excuse him for being a little out of it. Yeah. But I mean, he's, he's not, he's not confused. <laughs> he's, he's not too confused that he can't be like, oh, wait, no, that wasn't you. That was a different, that was Pruitt. And, and, you know, like Pruitt tells him like, yeah, I got 10 years of devotion out of that, you know, fake miracle, uh, which kind of also, I mean, we knew that Riley was an altar boy before, but it also kind of helps paint more of that backstory about his, you know, and, and the fact that he's come a long way since, or he's made a long journey, 
uh, into secular life since uh, his youth when he believed that God brought back a mouse. But, but it also kind of underlines a common thing between Father Paul and Bev, actually, um, which is that despite their kind of professed faith, neither of them are totally secure in their uh, understanding of 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 you know what they believe to be God's will and and the natural cycle of humanity as as created by God. Like you know, it mm. a, I think a truly a, a true believer's, you know, discussion about the mouse would have been, you know, this mouse is not, it's not Jesus <laughs> and is not right. going to be resurrected, not the son of God. Um, and sometimes, you know, God just allows unfortunate things to happen. Um, but instead Monsignor kind of plays it off like this is a real miracle. And, and so the devotion that he gets from, from Riley is false and, it, similarly, right. the the seeking to avoid death is is actually a rejection of the most important parts of of Catholic doctrine. Um, so you know they're they're both doing these things that that they're professing to to say are are in line with their faith, but they're actually totally kind of opposed to it. So I thought this was an interesting look at his kind of early hypocrisy um, and and willingness to deceive. Well. I also think it gives a little bit of evidence about why he tolerates Bev to be around him because everything that she seems to do. And I mean, I I will say this is one thing I kept hoping that there would be somehow more like a, a revelation about sort of the crate. Like we know enough that she clearly was extort, not extorting, but she took a lot of money from the people on the island. She hurt them um, to build this insane rec center that nobody uses, save looks like father, <laughs> the father for these AA meetings or whatever it might be. Um, one could even make some conclusion that the place is cursed, um, but because it was done with this, like these ill intentions, but that was one thing I was struggling with during this, just even watching this is like, you know, up until this point, which is like why Father Riley was sort of tolerating her and why clearly, you know, even though she professes to be so faithful, all of her actions show the opposite. Um, nothing about her is kind. Um, everything serves her own self-interest. Um, and she definitely does harm to many people all the time. And she doesn't really get called out on it and certainly not by him. And instead we see that he trusts her and she's this like help meet for him, which is like really strange. But then when he tells this story and then you kind of see her hovering around and her sort of comments on, you know, the things that she is doing to sort of, encourage his belief about things like, oh, and Bev found this Bible passage and, you know, that kind of thing. Then it made a lot more sense. Um, I still wanted to get a little bit more of an idea of their relationship before this whole transformation and before he went off to Jerusalem. Um, I kind of thought that she was taking advantage of a an elderly person who had dementia, like even, you know, though she did do the Rexon or whatever, she clearly was using the faith of the the congregation to her own means to to sort of 
glorify herself. Um, so I thought that that was kind of a nice tie in and very, very subtle um, to some extent. Um, but I don't know what she is an incredible actor. And, and I thought even more so in this and the next episode where she is so like fervent, but but unlikable. I, 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 <laughs> like, thought, I thought I would get tired at some point of just watching her be absolutely unflappable in the face of these things, but somehow I'm not. And it's still just so funny every time. Like, you know, there, yeah. there, there's a huge pool of blood on the floor. Riley is like half burned to death. Uh, they're, you know, screaming at one another and she just walks in and she's like, so how's it going, everybody? <laughs> like, what's going on in here? <laughs> and like, yeah, and she'll be like, oh, do we need to clean up this yeah. mess? Like, she's very matter of fact about these things, which, you know, some of the things about and and the nice part of having Riley there as like an outsider of this little cabal is that he is very I mean, he has a the, he has such a great his facial expressions are incredible in this whole scene everybody in the everybody in these scenes are great but his sort of horror and his like i cannot believe that this is happening his disbelief um and also i think the fact that these people are believing it and swallowing these this story that you know this is this is basically Oh, you're going to be saved, and this is a miracle, and whatever. And his his facial expressions, his body language show that he believes anything but. And I think that it's like a very cool contrast um, between the actors, and the energy is is really excellent. So this was definitely one of my favorite scenes in the there's whole a, series. There's a transition, or at least an arc, in this scene for Riley though too, because he uh, Pruitt does get him to admit that he's jealous of that amorality mm -hmm. that Pruitt expresses, that he feels nothing for Joe Colley's death. Whereas, um, you know, Riley at first is like, but I think about the woman that I killed all the time. And, and I'm, uh, you know, he, he admits while he's kind of crying about it, he's like, oh, God, yeah, I'm jealous that you don't feel it. Um, and then he does drink Sturge's blood. And at first I felt really bad for Sturge in the scene because he's got like Band-Aids all up his arm. Uh, and then mm -hmm. you know, by the next episode, I'm like, screw you, Sturge, you're a piece of shit. Uh, yeah. But Sturge, obviously, like the fact that they have this cabal, as you call it, these like the mayor and Dolly and Sturge and Bev, like as this inside crew who have gotten nothing out of this so far. I mean, they, the mayor and his wife got Lisa's walking, but they're, I don't. Yeah, like they're they're a puzzle to me. Um, I mean, I get it. They're all interested in it, in the power and like, you know, eternal life. And some of it is actual piety on the case in the case of Wade and Dolly and maybe Sturge. Mm -hmm. But they're odd, like. What do you think is, how do you think they, they were just like Sturge, start cutting yourself to feed the vampires? What? Right. <laughs> well, and then there's also the other part of this, which is that, you know, the father Pruitt admits that he's been doing all and, and he says it outright. Um, so one of the things is that I think you have to know what you are doing in order to be like, if you are truly faithful, if you are a part of the church, if you, you know, if you believe in the church's doctrine, you have to do that voluntarily. And he openly admits that he's been doing this with nobody aware of what he's doing. You know what I mean? So they're not like everybody is in the dark other than this little tiny group. And he has made the decision to basically change them and to to impart this quote unquote angel blood to all of them. And he has made that decision. 
um, versus them making the decision. And so it's very funny that he talks a lot about free will because he doesn't really seem to be, you know, leaving that open to the congregation, right? He's making the decisions. He's playing God. So well, I speak. think one of the one of the most interesting things that we learn about Father Paul in this episode, and it's been hinted at before, but it comes up the most here, is that he's absolutely clear-eyed about what he's doing. And there's no self-deception. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually would even venture to say that, you know, there's, I, I'm, I'm really not sure how much of an effect the vampire is really having on him. I, I think he, you know, he knows exactly all the things that he's done and he just literally does not feel the guilt or remorse o- over them. He does not feel guilty for Hello? feeding for deceiving the town. He does not feel guilty for Joe's death. He doesn't feel guilty for, for Riley's death. He, 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 he kind of is as bad as his actions suggest that he is. And the only reason that we kind of have these warm feeling towards him is because uh, Hamish Linklater is really charming and he's been putting on and the, and the <laughs> character's been putting on this, this front. Mm. Well, he does mention to Riley that the voice, quote unquote, of the angel keeps getting louder and louder the more he partakes and the more he gives in. So I wasn't sure if he means his own sort of inner voice or if it actually is something to do with the creature, like whether that is influencing him. And that base instinct is becoming stronger than his human instinct and that he's convinced himself of this. Well, and he's hiding behind doctrine. And I do think it is telling that he is hiding behind doctrine that Bev is presenting to him. Because, you know, if you are like, if this is your main believer, if this is the main person that you're using as support, I think everybody would agree. And this is just like everybody's reaction to Bev is just like with distaste and somewhat disgust. Um, And I think one of the, again, another hilarious scene is when Bev greets Mildred Gunning um, and and acts like, oh, this is a miracle. And both Bev and Mildred have like, there is, they both clearly show how they're feeling, but they're, but their words are the opposite. So Bev is like, oh, I'm so happy you were saved. And <laughs> she's clearly not. And Mildred is like, oh, it's good to see you. And she is like, the hug between them is the weirdest hug, I think, ever. I really um, like how Mildred has come back and is just like kind of a badass. Yeah. Um, but but this is the thing though, is that if you're using Bev, is Father Pruitt's best top sort of lieutenant is Bev. I think that that tells you everything you need to know about whether what he is doing is sure. right. Um, of course, there is some Bev on Pruitt stuff that happens in the next episode that makes you wonder mm-hmm. about that choice too. Um, but so the 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 flashback kind of comes to an end with Bev trying to persuade Pruitt to keep Riley locked up, but he's like, "No, let the apostles go out and spread the word." Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the there's like a, another montage set to some I forget what the song is called, but there's a lot of hallelujahs and faith in the in the lyrics, and it's a lot. Uh, it's Riley wandering around and watching what's going on uh, before um, walking up to Aaron's door. I mean, he was kind of creepily standing over the beds of his sleeping family for a few. And you're like, what's going Mm -hmm. on? You're still not sure if he's going to start eating people. Um, But finally, you know, Aaron's like, you brought me out here where I can't get away. And he's like, no, it's the opposite. (laughs) 
Okay, I have to say, I do question this decision. I think it was a very cool idea and a very cool, you know, and stressful thing. But Riley, come on, man. This is this is a pretty disturbing thing to do to somebody you purportedly love. Also, <laughs> like this is not right. And yeah, also, yeah. well, anyway, let's get into what happens. But this is like, and again, the monologuing. What's the monologuing to say he would have lost his will and just eaten his girlfriend? Correct. Correct. Um, and I think, you know, it does, they do make a big show. I mean, of making you feel nervous about that, the way he does stand over his family. But he also at one point when he's walking through the streets, kind of like grips his stomach. So, you know, he's feeling mm-hmm. the hunger when they go out in that boat. Um, and, and, you know, this is a flashback to his whole dream where he's in a boat alone and then she's with him. And I think it's supposed to invoke that. Um, but um, do we want to get into what happens? Because I think we do have to talk oh, about yeah, it. Absolutely. Um, it's the, it's the uh, end of the episode. Honestly, it's um, right. and, and how prescient is this guy? Like this is actually not very secular. The fact that he was having dreams about exact kind of like exactly mm-hmm. what was going to happen to him. So right. I wonder what Flanagan's trying to tell us there. Is he like, no, there really is a higher power. And it was giving Riley dreams about what was going to happen to him. What? You know, that's kind of bananas. Yeah, it's a little bit weird. Um But in any case, his big plan is to be out in the boat when the sun comes up. And then, you know, he's like, oh, this is the only way you'll believe. And you know what? You know what? How she might have believed is if, you know, he was in a house and maybe he went out and showed that he burned in the sun and come back in. Like, I don't know that you need to necessarily immolate yourself (laughs) um, in a boat that could also burn, by the way. And she's in the middle and she's in the middle. Of the ocean. I think he wanted to be done, though. He didn't want to be a vampire. I mean, I get that. Right. He's like, no, this is he did. But isn't this like kind of a coward's way out because he's leaving her to go and save the people on the island and he's got all this power and he knows it. I don't know. Mm. Maybe the temptation, maybe he's avoiding the temptation and doesn't want to hurt anybody he loves, which I can get behind and I can agree with that. But to me, this is like a very strange thing to do to somebody who is the love of your life. And clearly she is. And she feels the same way about him. But, you know, and I will say that the dramatic shooting, like, this is fantastic. This is just really he hits he hits this home even as disturbing as I find it. But as like, an addict, I, th- I, when, I have to agree with his choice. Like he's an addict. He knows that. That's I think this is a totally yeah. in line with his uh, his his personality flaw is that he doesn't have control over his or, or he struggles with control over willpower and and compulsion and and we've seen that vampirism is basically like a mega drug so i i do agree with how it goes but I, I'm, you were starting to say like this is a powerful scene here because i loved the transition from oh suddenly he's on the boat with the woman that he killed in the car accident um mm-hmm. and floating floating and away. she's whole yeah. and and she's whole and she and it's quiet and she it's she's like it's all light filled in peace you don't see any sort of negative thing for him on this end of things like he doesn't feel anything or at least that's not necessarily Sweet what seems release. to be the case um what he was getting and then hilarious yeah. laugh out loud cut to aaron just screaming on the boat hilarious yep. <laughs> it's not hilarious it's so disturbing her oh, screams sorry. and then <laughs> and then the, just the cut to black for the credits with her screams just like still going oh, oh man God. yeah i was I, totally it laughing was, I, actually, I don't know if that makes me a bad i gotta person. agree with Stuart. i was <laughs> laughing too so i think we're both of an equal i, I have a slightly more i don't know. i have a slightly more positive read of riley's actions aj than it sounds like you you know i i um 
thinking back on it, it seems kind of like a sick and twisted that Father Paul was leading the AA discussions and and positioning himself as kind of this spiritual, um, you know, guide for Riley because Riley really has internalized the guilt and turned it to something. Uh, you know, used it to make a moral choice that that it was incredibly hard for for him, and and that's, you know, all the years in in prison perhaps helped with this, and and the you know kind of addiction therapy that he went through um, has led him to take that guilt and and use it as a way to to make a really hard decision that Father Paul was much too cowardly to to make. So I think this is him re- recognizing where this road leads um, and knowing that he absolutely does not want to be there and taking the only way that he can think of to kind of, you know, stop that from, from ever happening and stop himself from becoming like them. So, Oh, I, I can read it that way too. But if I step back from the whole thing, yeah, it's a hard decision, but you're still leaving all his family, Aaron, you're leaving all of these people to be without without telling them what's happening. And I understand that it's a fantastical story and I, a fantastical story. And I know that he does try to leave some things to to show them the way. But I still feel like there is a level of uh, like it's not like he gets to escape. Um, and they are going to be left to deal with this. And these are not normal things to have to deal with, with Father Paul and all of them. And so I think that him making this decision, yes, you, I get exactly what you're saying, but I also think that he's kind of leaving them holding the bag to some extent. <laughs> so it's like, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. And and you're right. Maybe he's afraid that if he stays, he will easily become father Paul because of his addictive tendencies, which is totally valid. But like his, his advice just to a, Aaron is run, run away, get as far away as you can. Right. I don't think any part of him thinks you can fight what's happening on the Island. He doesn't, that doesn't seem to even occur, mm-hmm. uh, but I agree. Like that would have been, a different movie or a different show of like 30 days of night, which is what the next episode starts to turn into um, where yes. I feel like it's the, the lead character by the end of 30 days of night is a vampire or a baby vamp and uses that to fight the other vampires. Like, and maybe we'll see some of that, but like what he tells Aaron is run. And what's kind of hilarious is between that and the next episode, she hundred percent forgets that. And she's like, he told me to stay and help everybody. I'm like, what? Oh, he never did. He told he did not. He, he told, told you to, to get, get out. out of there. She's like, I'm trying to remember what the last thing he said to me was. Oh, I think it was run to, to kind of close out this episode. I agree that it's phenomenally shot. And, and Stuart, you, you alluded to it a moment ago, but the music throughout this in episode specifically, I think the music throughout the whole series is pretty strong, but in this episode specifically, the music is so good. And, you know, the kind of like gentle chanting that, that's happening when he's wandering around the town and looking at everybody and seeing the world with all its little sparklies and his vampire vision or whatever. Um, I just think it's, it's a phenomenally well executed uh, scene and, and episode from, from all perspectives of, of the production. Like I agree, like with the, the music I thought was very haunting and mournful and really made it made the, especially the final like few scenes of this it just incredibly poignant. Um, but also I noticed with the photography and the cinematography in this episode, um, I kept kind of coming back like 
especially, and this has been kind of the case for the series, it's really beautiful work. Um, and it makes this just even uh, just such a better, like almost like painterly looking, um, a lot of the lighting with Father Paul is very Rembrandt-esque. It looks like, um, you know, and the, the tones are are like contrast with different things. And then when you do the outside shots and a lot of the things with the lights, they look like Edward Hopper mm. paintings. So the care that they took to make this look the way it did um, is is a very, um, it, it's artful, but it also, I think, is in terms of how you're feeling about these characters and about these stories, um, it is, it's got this, I don't want to say fairy tale aspect to it, but it does have like this like unreality to it that I think makes you accept some of the weirder things in this. And then also makes the things that are more, that are horrific, even more horrific. In terms of uh, design and lighting, uh, I was also kind of taken by the fact that as a vampire, he doesn't have to be in complete darkness. Like he has just curtains nope. are going to be fine. Even though there's, there's clearly that sunlight coming through those curtains. He's not affected by it because the curtains protect him, I guess. Uh, but I like guess. Th that was nice because it meant that, you know, like, um, People can walk into his into the rectory, and uh, I think this happens in the in the next episode. But he, people can walk into the rectory, and and there's a bunch of people in there, and there's Father Paul, and it's daylight. But just because the windows are closed or the curtains are closed, uh, everything's fine, and it lets you kind of keep up the pretense at least a little bit uh, too. And it's it's I don't know if that's realistic or what we're talking about vampires, but um, he doesn't at least have to like sleep in a coffin in the basement with with no windows. Right. Dobev does kind of yell at him at one point about the curtains being open um, or being not closed enough. So um, but you're right, like it makes it so that it's a little he's a little bit more functional, at least to some extent. Um, well, I, you know, I think we're going to try to cover the next couple of episodes because we had a lot to do with this. And unfortunately, I have a, a stop time today. Um, so um do you want to close us well, out? I also Stuart? wanted to give Kyle the opportunity for any parting thoughts on this episode. We've talked about like the, you know, the, the rec center scenes being really powerful, but there, were there any other takeaways you had? I think that, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about the monologuing um, and there's some, there's some really kind of rough monologues here, Stuart, that we talked about, especially um, toward the beginning of the episode. And then there's like this, Oh yeah. There's th just the stuff with Riley and father Paul, just like, it just snaps. Like it just is so, it, so much more vibrant. And, and I think, um, you know, this episode has kind of like the best and the worst of the whole series in it in some ways. Mm. Um, but uh, overall, I just think uh, that that Riley story is so tragic and I was rewatching it with my wife again last night and she's just like, look, <laughs> it's our second time seeing it. And we're still just both like, so sad, <laughs> like so sad for Riley. Um, and I, I just, it, I wasn't expecting his exit from the series at this point, considering he's kind of been our main character so far. And I think that like Aaron, you know, the, the audience at the end of, of gospels feels a little bit, adrift and and it does have that great sense that you don't know where this is gonna go now so um i, I think it really sets the stage up really nicely for a very kind of like action-packed uh closing couple of episodes and then circling back to the beginning um he says i did my best just like bull's mom did which I don't know what we're supposed to conclude from that because I think they're very different characters. 
<laughs> but you know, maybe it's that they are both flawed and maybe this is the best he could do. So maybe that should put my, my concerns to rest on, you know, whether he should have stayed to help, but you mm. know, um, but the next episode is also action packed. So I can't wait to, to talk about that with both of you. So, um, let us know what you think about your thoughts. I am, uh, I'm hopping off here, but leaving it to, to the two gents to, to finish out the show. So ciao. And until next time, thanks for listening. So yeah, thanks everybody for, for coming along on this ride. We are going to do it a little bit out of order. Um, so we'll be hitting up episodes six and seven, which are acts of the apostles and revelation next time. And uh, if you want to talk about Riley's uh, death, was it hilarious? Was it sad? Um, the jury is split on this one. <laughs> sorry, Kyle. Sorry for being a bad, <laughs> a bad person. Um, you can let us know. Send us an email at reanimatedpodcast.gmail.com. We're on Twitter at reanimatedpcast. And of course, our show notes with uh, that Black Friday trailer and other uh, links to news is at reanimatedpodcast.com. Um, so, yeah, yeah. my, uh, you know, the nature of my, uh, my soul and whether or not I'll be going to heaven is definitely up for grabs. <laughs> Um, but thanks for listening and uh, ta-ta for now. Yeah, everybody.